Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Have you ever wondered the best approach to getting a raise or to becoming more valuable in your company and actually being recognized for all of the cool things that you do? I have often wondered that as well. And after this conversation with Derek Kinney, I think I understand a lot more about what we need to do to better position ourselves in the marketplace. If you're not familiar with Derek Kenny, he is the CEO of Good Money Framework, author of Good Money Revolution, and host of the popular Good Money Podcast. He believes money is not bad and good people should have more of it. After applying these proven principles with thousands of clients, Derek sold his multi-million dollar business to teach these steps to us. In his podcast, he visits with influential business and thought leaders to inspire you to make more money and use it for good. Known for making complex financial topics easy to understand, Derek is really passionate about the financial industry and more than anything, helping people just like you and me make more money and do more good. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground. We talk about how the pandemic and the crisis led Derek to start his podcast, which was arguably for podcasts, the worst time to start one. It was very, very crazy. Downloads dropped like a rock. It was really kind of an insane time. We talk about why it's worth it to bet on yourself how to increase your value as an employee inside of the company you work in, why most people aren't aware of their own bad money beliefs, Derek's thoughts on two types of risk aversion, why the fear of making mistakes is so common in the financial conversations, why Derek likes to shoot for the stars when it comes to his financial goals, why it's important to choose a side hustle that brings out the best in you, uncomplicating giving back and why doing good with your money doesn't have to be hard. And he talks about how giving back affects people psychologically. I really enjoyed this episode. I think it's a great conversation to be had. And oftentimes we don't really make that connection between making more money and doing more good. So I really love Derek's mission. And ultimately, I think you're going to enjoy this episode too. If you do, do me the biggest favor, take a screenshot of this, tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and let me know you're listening in. It's always so much fun to connect with you and see who is actually listening to the show and just say hi. All right, I'm going to turn this conversation over to this really fun episode with my new friend, Derek Kinney. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm joined by one of my new friends, Derek. Derek, thank you so much for hanging out. Oh, great to be with you, Whitney. So glad to be here today. I am so stoked to chat with you. First and foremost, for people that are listening to the episode and they can't see, you've got a sweet background. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about this watercolor. Yeah, so actually we bought this. Of all places, it came from the Paris Museum of Modern Art. And we bought it online, got a really good deal for it. But I wanted the background of my studio to be kind of cool. And then I I tend to wear like Robert Graham kind of shirts just to kind of liven it up a little bit. So uh, the the goal is not to be able to miss me when I'm on the air. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. And I think it's really cool because you've got a lot of different pieces of your business going on. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast maybe and why you decided to start that? Yeah. So to kind of go back a step, I built a financial planning practice over 25 years. And in July of 2019, I'm at a hotel room in Boston, and I'm on my yearly sabbatical, and I take about five days every year just to kind of get away 
and ask myself a couple questions. One is, how do I be a better husband? How do I be a better father? And how can I be a better business leader? And this particular sabbatical, I was really wrestling with me with, what does the next chapter of my life look like? And I was really debating, do I want to stay a financial advisor or actually sell the business and launch a lot of new things to take this good money message to the world? And so ultimately, that's the message that won out. And so that day there in the hotel, I began to sketch out what a podcast would look like, what my book would look like. But then COVID hit, you know, not six months later, and I realized I could either write a book and do it in isolation and not really help a lot of people right now, or I could launch the podcast and have a conversation just like you're doing with people and really add value right now. So that's how the Good Money Podcast was launched, was really in the midst of a crisis, just wanting to be a, a conversation with people about money. That is incredible. I love that you launched during the pandemic too, because that's when most people were like, nobody wants to talk about money. They're everyone's so stressed right. out. And you're like, I'm going to launch a podcast. That's pretty that's awesome. Right. Kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah, a little, bit. <laughs> a little bit, but I like it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your journey into, I guess, even financial planning, but where did your interest in money even come from? Yeah. So looking back, I always enjoyed money. You know, I, I was the kid that before I was 15 was trying to get a job and get my driver's license and work a second job part time. I just enjoyed having money. And I began to connect this whole concept of the more value I provided people, the more money I could make, which was really, really cool. And then I really began to integrate this whole giving concept. There was somehow there was just some causes that I saw the local food bank you know, homeless people, and I just wanted to do something to help them in my small way. And I realized, you know what, heck, the more money I can make by adding more value to people, the more good I can do in the world and help these people's lives. And so that's really where my my like for money came from. And then what happened was I began to, when I you know went to high school and college, I only took one finance class in college. Mm. And I quickly realized when I graduated, Working in a software company was really not the best path for me. It didn't really provide a whole lot of upward mobility, if you get what I'm saying. And so I then began to study in the evenings, got licensed, and began to build my financial planning practice while working full-time, and eventually left that software company. And this was the place where my boss bounced our paycheck not once but twice. On Fridays at 5 o'clock, he would famously announce, hey, by the way, Saturday, tomorrow's a work day. All that stuff, I realized, yo, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. And on top of all that, I was the one marketing person in this engineering software firm. So I got passed over for the raise. And all of those things began to send me a message and say, is this the life that I want? Where someone else tells me on a regular basis how much I'm worth or am I willing to put the chips on the table and bet on the name called Derek and let's see how this thing goes. And so I'm glad I made that bet. And I would encourage all of your listeners as well that when they're faced with that same situation, bet on yourself, especially younger. There's less risk and there's a lot more opportunity. I love the idea of betting on yourself. And I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here because I think sure. for people like like you and maybe even myself to some extent, we have a little bit of self-confidence. We have some belief in ourselves. For people that maybe don't maybe have that confidence yet, do you still like do you have any tips or tricks they can use to still bet on themselves while building up their self-confidence? 
Yeah, yeah. What I wouldn't say is take your full-time job and just say, forget it, I'm going to risk it all. What I want to do is let's put our toe in the water and gradually ease into creating your own opportunity. And let me give you an example. There was a woman that came to me about five years ago, and she had joined a startup company, was excited about it, highly motivated, but a year and a half had gone by and she was getting passed over for raises, didn't feel like she was really contributing much to the company. And she said, Derek, how do I make more money? And I said, let's do this. Let's make a list of all the ways you could add value to the Mm. company. Because the old way that she was thinking about was I'm just going to bang on the boss's door and demand a raise. And if I don't get it, I'm out of here. Well, that only gets you so far. I mean, that's just the reality. And so we began to figure out that if she got a license, like a specialty designation, she could free time for her boss to then generate more business. And so that was one idea we wrote down. Then she came up with an idea that, you know what, why are we waiting on the salespeople to generate all the sales leads? What if the boss said anybody in the company who refers someone to the sales team to grow the business, they get a bonus? And so we identified ways to help her grow. the. And she was an administrative person, you know, so didn't get to move the lever a lot. So we had to be creative. And so we figured out ways for her to save money in supplies, for example. She knew how much the company spent. And we worked out a plan where any savings she found, she could get 5% of the savings and a bonus. So her boss was saving money, helping her make money, but it was helping grow the business. So she goes into the boss. He's overly impressed and says, you get this designation. I'll bump your salary by $5,000, which was so big because it allowed him to have capacity to grow the business in a way he hadn't thought about. Plus, suddenly now he had the entire company as a sales force bringing leads in. So she walked out of there about $7,500 wealthier, not because she banged on the door, but because she added value and she was seen as a more valuable employee. And that's right now, Whitney, I think, you know, there's an article recently that said, this is the year that most people will get raises. And so I want your listeners, not just to get the token 3%, 4% cost of living raise, because that doesn't do a whole lot. And it really doesn't help your self-esteem much. But how can you really position yourself as truly adding value? Because we know where where money grows is where value goes. And that's Mm. really my goal for each person listening right now. I love this idea of your pay is reflective of how much value you can bring to a company. And I think so often we don't think about it that way. We think of here's my one skill. Most of the time it's I'm only going to do my job, not a single thing more. And I mean, I, I I get it to an extent, but I like this this idea of really looking for ways to add value so that you are more valuable and like talk about job security. Well, exactly. And the word that I would use is how can you decommoditize yourself? Mm. You know, you think about as a consumer, if you want to buy a computer or a car or a lawnmower or a washer and dryer, they're pretty much all the same when you think about it. The only thing that differentiates this is is really the salesperson or something about the product or service where there's more to it than just what you're buying. And so many people, I find, have unknowingly, not deliberately, but they've commoditized themselves in their company. 
And so a person listening right now, a millennial, let's say that they, they're they working for someone, I really want you to begin thinking about how do you begin to think like an entrepreneur inside of your current company? Because one thing we know is the temptation to change jobs is almost overwhelming. You could probably change jobs right now and make more money. The problem is, the feedback I'm getting is, the culture is not where people want it to be. Sure, they may make more money and they feel like they're getting more recognition, but it's not pulling out the best in them. And now, three months later, what are they doing? They're looking for another job. And so I I think right now, now is the time to really become a specialist in your field, but be a value adder. If you can, you know, one person told me one time that typically a boss's favorite radio station is WIIFM. What's in it for me? Totally. And if you can answer that question, I mean, that's in relationships, in your job, all of those things let the boss know that, hey, this person thinks like I do, and they're working for ways to save money, make money, and grow the business. You do those things, you will have an unlimited level of value that you can keep making more and more money. And what I would add to that, doing more good for the causes that you care deeply about. I am with you 100%. Do you feel like this concept of thinking like an entrepreneur, finding ways to add value, does this apply to public and private companies? Yeah. So this is where I would put a wrinkle into it. And so let's say there's a teacher listening right now. And that teacher could be the best teacher in their local town. It's the teacher that every parent wants their kid to have. The problem is that teacher cannot bang on the principal's door and ask for a raise because there's a pay structure that all the teachers sort of fit in. It's not fair, not right, but it just is how it is. Same with cops, firefighters. There's a certain level of professionals where you can't go in and demand a raise. So now you're faced with, do you, after working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, grading papers, teaching, talking to parents, working really hard, do you start a side hustle in the evenings or the weekends, or do you change jobs? Because what reality tells us, and this isn't fair, but it's reality, when people think about an athlete getting paid millions of dollars Well, they're getting paid that because they put butts in seats, people buy concessions, they buy food, they buy the merch. And the teacher, you could say, adds even infinitely more value, but they're not paid what the economy says they should be worth. And so this is where it gets wrinkly. And so what I would tell people right now is if you're a teacher or you're in a fixed type of pay area, what's the easiest way to launch a side hustle? So many people make it overly complicated. I would just ask yourself this. In the course of a day, doing your normal job, what questions do people routinely ask you to help them solve? So if you're a teacher and teachers routinely ask you for classroom management tips, how to teach complicated topics, you'd be wise to come up with some kind of a downloadable or a recurring revenue item that you could sell to other teachers all around the country or speak on, or teach on, et cetera. And so all of those are ways where I think now people have to make that decision because if you don't do it, someone right now is telling you, whether you like it or not, how much you are worth. 
I would rather that number be unlimited, but you're going to have to make some money moves to make it happen. I totally agree with you. I mean, to me, it seems like, especially in today's world, there's so many different ways to make money off of your profession, no matter what you're doing that, like you said, you could do classroom management tips. Maybe you become a teacher coach. Like you could do so many different things. You can sell lesson plans. Like that's finding something to do is not really too difficult. I think training your brain to see opportunity is the challenging piece. So for for you, I'm curious, have you always just been very like entrepreneurial and you just always have been able to identify opportunities or was that something you had to develop that skill for? Yeah, I would say it was something I had to develop the skill. And when I left the job, my first job out of college, I was making $27,000 a year. And I remember the only negotiation was I could get it up to $500 more after six months. I mean, this was, I was getting paid nothing. And what I realized was that only by working for someone else and specifically only by helping someone else make money, could I then make money? And so that was the concept I realized was if I'm ultimately, I mean, ultimately, if you're a teacher, you're helping them improve their lives. As a financial advisor, I'm helping people make more money to accomplish what they want in life. So if I can help people add value to their life, make more money, simplify it, de-stress it, all of those are dollar bills that can come my way if I'm adding enough value to people to help improve their lives. And so one of the concepts that I really am a big fan of is this whole concept of recurring revenue. And in the financial services world, you know, the more clients you serve and you keep satisfied and happy and their money growing, well, you're receiving a small piece of that every single year. And that just grows and builds and builds and builds. And so that concept is not limited just to finance. It could be if you have a coffee shop or a donut shop or, I mean, whatever you want to do, you can build a subscription model around that where you're adding value every single day. But again, what I would tell people right now is I'm a big fan of, I like money. I mean, money to me is fun. It's a game I like to play. And I would encourage people, even if they've had bad money beliefs in the past, even if growing up, they can picture, even right now as we're talking, Whitney, they may picture mom or dad or grandma or grandpa banging their fist on the table saying, if only we had more money then, we could do the things we really want to do. Or mm. someone says, you know, people have money, they're the haves and we're the have-nots. Yep. And people grow up in their lives not knowing this, but they protect themselves from almost having money. They don't want to make any bad decisions. They don't want to look foolish. And then they may have been told, hey, if you have money, you're bad. Or if you're very successful, you must have done something illegal or bad to get that much money. So all of these messages are floating out there. My hope is that in Good Money Revolution, I help really expose those thoughts and really help people begin to recraft how they think about money and their relationship with money. Yeah. I think this is such an interesting idea too, of changing your money story, your money scripts, like what that default is. And I'm a big believer for almost all of us, with especially when it comes to childhood beliefs, we either repeat or we evolve. So we have a choice of, yes, do yes. we keep doing the same thing or do we question it? I always think that's so fascinating. Do you find that most people that you come across, like, are they aware of their money beliefs or are they just completely just living paycheck to paycheck and doing their thing and not even thinking about it? Yeah, most people don't have an awareness of 
I have a bad money belief. What they often realize is I don't like risk or I don't Mm. like making big decisions or someone told me once that I'm not really good with money. So they tend to hold on to that feeling. Let me tell you a quick story. I was in the office on a Saturday just catching up on things, and I began to see my voicemail light blink. And that's that Mm. evil light that you realize if you check it, you may go down that rabbit hole. But I realized, (laughs) okay, a voice inside just said, you better check that particular message. So I picked it up. There's a woman's frantic voice on the other end of the phone. She says, Derek, you have to call me back right away. I bounced a check, and I'm going to jail. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? So I quickly called her back. What happened was she'd written a check. She'd forgotten to move the money from her savings account to checking to cover it. And I said, listen, we'll call the bank together Monday. We'll take care of it. I don't want you to worry about it. You're going to be okay. But then she said, but Derek, I'm going to go to jail. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell me where this is coming from. She said, Derek, let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, my dad had bought some school supplies for our family, and he inadvertently wrote the check from the wrong account. The store owner called her dad and said, I'm going to put you in jail because you wrote a hot check. Hmm. So, so picture this. This woman is now like 55 years old. That happened when she was like seven. So 50 years earlier, she had witnessed her dad being berated by a store manager saying, you bounce a check, you go to jail. She lived her life for 50 years thinking that was truth. So this was a successful woman on the outside, had all the trappings of success, great career, great house, car. She was very polished, but I always knew there was something a bit off in terms of her relationship with money. And suddenly that cleared it up for me right there. Back when she was a kid, she saw that you make a mistake with money and you go to jail. And that belief shielded her from a whole lot of success. And I think it probably, when people pull back the curtain, it may not have been that drastic, but people often will have other life-changing situations where it caused them not to do well with money either. You hit on one that I want to dive into, and that was this whole concept of being risk-averse. When you said that, I'm like, uh-oh, is he pointing fingers at me? How does he know? <laughs> like, this is this is me. And I grew up with a very scarce money situation when I was a kid, so it makes sense. But I'm kind of curious uh, your thoughts and perspectives on the risk-aversion. Yeah, so I think of risk-aversion in two different buckets. There's the investments that you can pick that Mm -hmm. have more risk and are more aggressive. But then there's also choosing to invest in yourself in an aggressive way. And let me give you an example. So as I was building my financial planning practice, an opportunity came up where I could double the size of my practice in the Dallas office. I didn't know where the money was going to come from, but I began to just pursue it and the doors began to open. What happened, though, was... The moment I signed my name to that contract, all hell broke loose. The advisors I bought it from began to violate their non-compete agreement. I had to move the office across the highway because people were just taking clients back. It was a terrible situation, teetered on bankruptcy. But in that moment, I kept investing. And the stock market was dropping, dropping, dropping. But I kept adding money to investments that I felt like long-term would do well. Okay, so now fast forward about five years later, now I'm looking at a practice in South Texas in the McAllen area. 
Well, that decision was a whole lot easier because I had already bet on myself once, had taken immense risk, almost lost it all, but I realized I didn't. I came through it, and I actually made more money because of it, so it made that decision even easier, but only because I took the risk on myself the first time. So Mm -hmm. what I would tell someone listening right now, they may say, well, Derek, your story sounds impossible. Mm -hmm. I don't own a business. I get that. What I would just tell you is, if you think about your life, one money move at a time, you know, what is one decision today that I can make that stretches me a little bit, that makes me feel uncomfortable, but that could help me become wealthier. So for some people that might be, I'm going to buy $25 of Ethereum every week. Okay. Or I'm going to buy, you know, Apple stock and I'm going to put in a hundred bucks a month. Okay. Well, those things can go up, they can go down, but what you're doing is you're betting on yourself and you're giving your money the opportunity to work for you. And that's the key. You work so hard for your money. It doesn't make sense to work for it twice. You want to work for it once and then let your money sort of pay the favor back to you by working equally hard as you work to earn it. That is so good. Don't make your money work for you twice. Like that's, I mean, that's such a good perspective and very healthy when it comes to investing specifically. I think that's really awesome. When it comes to general attitude. So you do a ton of speaking. You've dealt with a lot of clients, probably thousands at this stage. What are some common attitudes that you're finding aside from maybe the risk aversion piece that you think are really holding people back? Well, one of them is the fear of making mistakes. And Mm. let me give an example here. So one of the critical conversations I believe everyone should have is about money with their kids and if they're older, with their grandkids. Mm. Now, the question becomes, though, is what causes them not to have that conversation? Well, it's typically because they're embarrassed, they're fearful, they're worried, and they feel a lack of knowledge or expertise in terms of what could I teach my kids or grandkids because I've been a failure financially. Mm. And, And what I like to do is take a big eraser and erase all that and say, just be curious together. In other words, even most people would say, well, I'd love to have my kids or grandkids own their own business. That would be a desire most people have. But most parents don't have any experience at all in having started a business. Therefore, they feel completely inadequate. So instead of that, that holds that generation back from having their own business. You could say, you know, son or daughter, I really think you should consider having a business, building it while you're working full time, what if we studied some things together or gave you some tools to help you build your own income stream? Because one thing I believe in is people shouldn't just always be the receiver of income. They should be the creator of income. You know, Mm. people right now with the, the economy like it is, a lot of people are one major global event away from losing their job. And then competing with younger people, older people, all coming back in the workforce at the same time, I'm a big fan of let's build up an income stream, even if it's part-time, that you own because it gives you control and it helps you make much, much smarter financial decisions. I love that. What's your what's your favorite example of like an income stream that you think is an easy one for people to manage on their own? Well, one of the theories that I have that I like to test over and over again is 
where will parents spend money for their kids? Oh, amen. <laughs> and, and, so, and so you think about this. Typically, parents will always spend money to help their kids make better grades yep. or do better on the sports field. They just always will. And so if you can build rapport and speak in an easy to understand way, you're helping the son or daughter and infusing belief in them, parents will pay money and they'll refer their friends in droves. So that's what I would focus on is how can you help, you know, what would you like someone to help your kids with? And then you be that provider of that value uh, in that situation, because so many people, I think, with me, they they tend to overthink money. They make it way too complicated. You know, I, I'm the guy that every year I like to take a note card or a sticky note and just write three financial goals down. I don't write 15 or 20 because that leads to frustration and disappointment and, and, and anger. You know, I could even make it to the gym. Am I going to do 15 financial goals, for goodness sakes? I mean, <laughs> right, really. Exactly. I know. So, truly. so you, you stick it on your bathroom mirror. You put it on your nightstand. You keep it in your, your on your dashboard of your car. And it reminds you every day, this is my number one goal, that if I hit it financially and I'm laser focused, I'm probably going to hit that goal a lot sooner than if I have 15 or 20 goals really diluting my attention. You're ready to take your business to the next level, but you'll need the right team to make it happen. Indeed makes it easy to hire and build a team with the right skills to make your dreams a reality. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process to find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. My personal favorite is Indeed Assessment. It helps star applicants shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. Indeed Assessments helps you take the stress out of the interview process. Your candidates don't need to prove themselves again, and you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Money Nerds. Offers valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Money Nerds to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash money nerds terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. That, my friend, is the sound of making money. It's the sound of another sell on Shopify with the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big businesses. It's customized for my needs with a great-looking online store that brings my idea to life and tools to manage my day-to-day -day and drive sales. Making your idea real opens endless possibilities. It's a journey, but that's kind of the beauty of entrepreneurship. Believe me, this podcast and my financial coaching business just started as an idea and in Starbucks, just helping people create their own finances. You never know where your idea is going to take you. And that's why I love Shopify. It makes it easy for anyone to successfully run their own business. Shopify powers 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, you get 24-7 support, so you're never really alone. This is more than a store. Shopify grows with you. 
This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash money nerds, all lowercase for a free 14 day trial and to get full access of Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash money nerds right now. Shopify.com slash money nerds. Again, all lowercase. I am so excited to see you launch your store. Send it my way when you get it officially launched. That makes so much sense too. When when you set your own personal goals, I'm, I'm thinking through your three that you set at the beginning of the year. Are these goals where when you look at it, you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to accomplish this. Like, I do not know how it's going to happen. Or is this something where you're like, I can create a pretty easy plan to get there? I tend to like to stretch myself. And I'll, I'll tell you a personal story. You know, my net worth is one of my goals every year. I call it the report yes. card for adults. Okay. Yep, agreed. It, it doesn't lie. It tells you how much, how much I own, how much I owe. And there's three levers of that. There's a lever of how to save more, how to crush your debt, and how to earn more. And part of saving more money is so many people think I'm just going to put the money into my checking account or my savings account, but that doesn't earn much of anything at all. What I would encourage people to do is to follow the consumer trends, especially right now. You think about NFTs, the metaverse, uh, consumer spending as the economy comes out of COVID. All of those, even if you bought the S&P 500 index fund, all of those give you growth opportunities that are much more substantial than your checking or savings account. And so that way, while you're working, your money that you save is now working really, really hard for you. Now, the crush your debt piece, this is a game I like to play every year where you say, if my boss, and in this case, I'm the boss, so if I came to myself and had this conversation and said, look, we've got to cut your pay by 20% or else we're going to lose your job because we have to wipe out a whole division, what would you do? I mean, if your back was literally against the wall, you would begin to find a way to save more or make more. And so it's a fun game to play. Even if you shave off 5% of your expenses, now you've got 5% you could put toward retirement Mm -hmm. or toward your number one financial pain point. Um, And then the last part, again, is how do you make more money? And and again, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, people will reward those people who think like entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I believe that's the workforce of the future is people who can continually add value because if you're helping the business make money, they know that if you leave, they will lose money. And so it's in their best interest, but it's all about communicating that in a way that makes sense. I, I really enjoy this conversation too, because I think so much of the personal finance discussion is usually around almost penny pinching and like, listen, I'm a frugal person too. I get it, but there's not as much conversation around Hey, take on a side hustle so you control that income stream. It's take on a side hustle so you can pay off your debt and then be done with it. But you're actually suggesting something a little different. You're saying take on that side hustle, control that income stream, and in the meantime, optimize your current income streams with your nine to five and make as much money as you possibly can. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the key there is to really customize it to you. You know, I think where people step on a landmine, if you will, is they tend to read, okay, here's the top 10 side hustles for 2022. So therefore, I guess I have to do one of those because that's sort of the approved list. No, 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 no. If you're going to do a job on the weekends and in the evenings, I want you doing a job that you love 
that brings out the best in you. I mean, nothing worse than working the weekends and the evenings at a side job you don't even like, but oh, you don't totally. like your full-time <laughs> job. I mean, that's right. that's really messing yourself around. But but let me tell you a quick story. One, one of the ways that we tie in this concept of how do we make more money, you know, for someone listening right now that may own a business, for example, uh, I'm going to tell you about Dave. Dave came into my office about five years ago. And you know those relationships, Whitney, where you can just tell something's bothering somebody without them even having to say anything? No doubt. You could tell the weight of the world was all over this guy. So we had some small talk. And once he sat down, I said, Dave, it's obvious something is wrong. What's going on? He said, Derek, the business is going great. You know, things are doing well, but I'm just not into it anymore. I'm not feeling motivated to go to the office every day. And some for some reason, the words that came out of my mouth were, Dave, is there a cause that you care deeply about? Well, I could tell the question kind of stunned him. And he said, you know, it's funny you ask because a couple of years ago, my wife and I and family went to this village overseas. And on this tour we were on, they realized that this particular village needed a schoolhouse to educate the kids because mm. they were really falling way far behind. And he remembered kind of exchanging a glance with his wife as if to say, hey, let's do something about this when we get back to the States. Well, things got busy, business ramped up again, and they forgot about it. And so I said, what if you did this? What if you took the next six months and you set a goal for yourself that I'm going to increase my business by X percent and I'm going to take half of that increase and fund the school? Well, Mm, he said, you know, that's a good idea, Derek. That's cool. So he leaves, comes back about three months later. He's looking younger, reinvigorated. He's excited. And he says, Derek, I need to be honest with you. He said, I was skeptical when you gave me this idea. I didn't think it was going to work, but we're already up almost 40% over the past three months. And it was crazy. That's amazing. And so here's what he did. He, he used the school as the impetus to communicate to his customers, here's why we're in business. And what began to happen was he said, look, we're going to take a portion of all of our profits and we're going to help fund this school together. So now all of these customers were referring people to them and even doing more business because they were part of something bigger. And so one of the cruxes of the book of Good Money Revolution is when you can pair your profits with a purpose and your cause to your cash and money to meaning, now it's not just go have the side hustle, go ask your boss for more money. Now you're making more money, adding more value, living a better life, and you're making a difference in the causes that you care deeply about. And so that's my belief and what is unique about this concept is, look, if you face a job loss, the economy gets soft, inflation's high, a family issue comes up, those things can take you off track. But if there's a cause that you know you're making a difference in people's lives, it could be your neighbor next door. Mm-hmm. It could be the homeless community, a food bank, sex trafficking, I mean, whatever it is, whatever is important to you, that's going to be a motivator on a nonstop basis to keep you making more money and doing more good. So it's a powerful combination. Yeah. That's such a good tip too, is is finding that way to use money for good, which I know is 100% what your brand and everything you teach is all coming down to giving back and helping others, paying it forward, so to speak. I think that's really 
incredible. So for somebody listening in that maybe wants to start that and they have a cause identified, but maybe they can't make the financial contribution yet, do you think it's still important to try to financially contribute? Do you spend your time? Like, how do you get going with trying to, I guess, like train your heart to be a giver? Yeah, yeah. So what I would do again is let's uncomplicate it. You know, so many people think that if I'm going to make a difference in the world, I need to have a lot of money. A lot of impact, a lot of time or both. And then what do they do? They shut down because they realize that's not even possible. I can't do it. Yep. I can't do it. So what I would suggest people do, especially right now, you think about all the, you know, the the, the fund me's, the the dollar, five dollar, just take one percent, take ten dollars a month and put it toward a cause that you care deeply about. And, and, and the goal here is so many people, especially those people listening right now that may be living sort of hand to mouth or there's more month left than there is money. You know, yeah. I think you get what I'm saying. I do. That this is a way for you to control part of your money. And so this is the powerful piece of this is even if it's a dollar, $5, $20, the dollar amount doesn't matter to me. All this is, is you're making a commitment saying, I want to make a difference mm-hmm. with this particular money. And what it does is for those few seconds, it lets you be the ruler of your money universe. No longer are the debtors in control, what you owe. You're now the one making that decision for what you want to do. And and what I would encourage people to do also is, let me kind of describe this situation. Many people think, well, you know what, I'm going to wait to give until I have more money down the road. You know, I could give $100 now, but if I wait and the market goes up over 10 years, it could be worth $1,000. Well, that logic makes sense. The problem, though, is then you're missing out on the impact over that 10-year period. So instead, what I would suggest people do is give a smaller amount. The present value of money is worth more than the future value because of the multiplier impact. In other words, if I give a little bit of money now, over the course of 10 years, who knows how much impact that might have. So again, all of this is just, it's a new way to flip the script on money. We all want to make money and, and more people would say, I like to have more of it. Right. But when they lay their head on the pillow at night, how powerful would it be to know, look, I'm getting paid what I'm worth. I'm making more money. My family life has improved, but I'm also making a difference in the causes that are real important to me. Mm-hmm. That's a very meaningful way to live a life. I agree with that too. Just a philosophical question too. Do you feel like do you feel like you could ever have a truly fulfilled life if you don't find a cause or find a way to give? Like do you think it's possible to still be very fulfilled without giving? Oh, sure. I, I think that each person is unique. Each person is different. Um, but what I know, you you think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the bottom are the basic food housing, shelter, and then it works its way up to that top corner and it's meaning, fulfillment, impact. And and one thing that just research tells us is that over time, when people look back on their lives, they would rather have lived a life of impact than be the richest person at the cemetery. You know, I'll tell you some, some research you'll find interesting. I think there was a woman I quote in the book, her name is B. Bocalandro, and she wrote a book called Do Good at Work. And she talks about how when they measure the human brain, if the brain is watching just a regular commercial about a new car, a new computer, whatever it is, it simply registers the data and then goes about its business. 
But if there's a commercial where you're helping support, for example, now the Olympic team, or you're helping make the oceans cleaner, you're helping solve a problem that's out there, the way the brain responds to that, it's as though you're looking into the one you love the most. What? I mean, it's almost this, this romantic aura that occurs. The brain senses, hey, you're helping solve this society huh. ill. And what I believe is, and we see this with millennials. I mean, th this is so great about this group of people is they want money and meaning combined together. For sure. And you think about the Tom shoes or the Bomba socks or places where it's the buy one, get one. They've shown that they will pay more money to get a quality service. It has to be a quality service and experience. But if they're helping make the world better as well, that's where the dollars are going to go. And I think business owners right now, this is a unique opportunity to rebrand themselves yeah. as not just a service or product provider, but really a value adder to the customer and to the causes that are real important to them. I love that so much. I think it, it's very true. And it makes me kind of curious to the generation below millennials, like, how are they going to be? Are they even more right. leveled up with this stuff? I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. You know, each generation sort of brings its own perspective of money. But all I care about is helping people make more money. And so yeah. what I like to do is not really argue with the trends, is simply mm -hmm. say, here's a trend. And here's how you, as someone watching this podcast, can benefit from that trend. And so what are three steps that you could take to put yourself in that flow of that trend. You know, I mean, for example, when I would teach a business club at my kid's school, we've got four kids. My youngest is now a junior in high school. Aww. I would always ask them, I said, hey, look around, what brands are you wearing right now? And they would name off, you know, Nike, Adidas shoes, whatever they're wearing. I said, if, you're li if you like that, do you think a lot of other students your same age are wearing the exact same thing? They're like, yeah. Well, I said, just invest in that. Totally. Just invest where the trends are. Don't overcomplicate it. You know, the beauty of money is everybody has, I think, an equal opportunity for success. You don't have to become a doctor. You don't have to be an attorney. You don't have to be a nurse. You don't have to go to college. Mm -hmm. Once you can learn the skills and know where the resources are, you can make just as much money as anybody else. I mean, it's a beautiful game if you know how to play the rules and play them so they benefit you. So, so true. I like that. Just look at the trends. And I think that leads back into we're like going full circle here with the entrepreneurial thinking, too, is paying attention to trends. If you see those trends and you're going to start to become more aware of it and see how that can impact your day to day life and make people's lives better, too. So I, I really I really have enjoyed this conversation. It's been very insightful. When I've enjoyed it as well. And uh, hopefully the book will benefit a lot of people. And I, I do feel like you know, well, people have called COVID this this great opportunity, but it's a big reset button. And, and successful yeah. people press their reset button often because they recognize I'm going to keep learning and growing. But that's the whole goal. Tell us about the book. So Good Money Revolution, where's the best place to get it? Is it Amazon, local bookstores, your website? What do you think? Yeah, you can get it any of any of those places. What we've done, though, is if you go to goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com, it's a special link we made, goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com. I've created two special videos that are bonuses when you pre-order the book. So the book uh, retails for like $26.99, hard-earned money. I don't take that lightly. 
but the value of the videos is about 10 times that. And one of the videos we teach how to save more and how to crush your debt. The second video was how to ask for the raise you've always wanted. So in value, I want to make sure that we added value to people even before they read the book. So the book, I think, is a really good book, but the videos add a whole lot of value to that. So goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com would be the best place to get all of those bonuses as well. That is such an incredible resource. Thank you so much for creating that. As a content creator myself, I know how much time that stuff takes and (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I really do. So it's really great. And I hope everybody takes you up on that opportunity and buys a copy of the book. Yes, $26 hard-earned money, but still that is such a great way to get knowledge. And it's like basically an entire year's worth of college or someone's lifetime lessons in one place. I think books are always worth spending money on. Yeah. And also right now, the Kindle version, I, I tend to be more of a paper guy. I like to read a book. Yeah, me too. The, the Kindle and the Nook, we actually reduced down to 99 cents for the what? next couple of weeks. So so people want to buy that version. 99 cents is an easy way to get the book and access to all those things as well. Amazing. Derek, did you do an audiobook with this too? I did. I did. Yeah. So that's, it's funny because if you've ever read a book for about nine hours in a really small cramped room, (laughs) it's really hard to appreciate. And so now anytime I see that the author read the book themselves, I have a much higher appreciation. So we just did the final edits two weeks ago. And it's funny because if your stomach growls, oh, got to redo it. We heard that. (laughs) You barely tap the microphone and that kind of thing. But it, it was fun to read your work. It's yeah. really, it was a beautiful, it was a really beautiful experience. I really enjoyed it. Is there a chapter or a lesson that you think is your favorite? You know, I think as I, as I look at the book, the, the framework that we put together, the seven step good money framework, yeah, I think redefines how people think about money because what it does is it shifts how people think about just wanting to retire or pay down debt to what is what I call your generosity purpose? Yep. You know, what, what is that cause that will drive you to then make more money and do more good? So, But also, I like the simplicity of it. I talked earlier about just setting three goals. So many plans right now, even when you pay down your debt, you wonder what's next. And that's what this book is about is don't just pay down your debt, pay it down, but also now use it and really put some tools in place to actually make more money. I love it. I'm so grateful that you spent the time to create a book. I can't even imagine how difficult that would be and challenging. And I just, I'm always so impressed when people are like, I wrote a book. I'm like, my goodness, that's incredible. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge in this format too. And even narrating the book. That's pretty awesome too. I'm really grateful that you took the time to put your work into the world. Well, thanks, Whitney. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I can tell why your listeners love having you as their host. You're so engaging. Oh, thanks. And this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some fun rapid fires? Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. My first question for you, what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Oh, I would say... Just a book I bought recently. Um, there, there's a book I bought called The Millionaire Mind by T. Harvecker. Love that book. Uh, which is a great book. And I tend to, when I buy books, I tend to rip pages out and then implement. And so my goal is if I pay $20 for a book, I want to make about $1,000 off the advice oh, in that book. So good. 
And so typically every couple of years, I have implemented it. It's time to re-implement something again, tear the pages out, implement it. Because I would think the ultimate kudos to an author would be, hey, they actually did what you said to do. Who cares what the book looks like as long as they implemented what you wanted? That's the win as an author. Ooh, that's so good. I love that tip. I'm going to have to borrow that from you too. I love that idea. It's yours. (laughs) All right. Next question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? One of our favorite places to go to is Florida. We, we love that area. But also, I have this attraction to Croatia. You know, the Aegean Sea and, and the whole area there is really, really pretty. So I, I tend to set goals based on, okay, once I sell a certain number of books or do a yeah. certain number of speaking events, then I reward myself with that. So those are some things on the goal list that once I accomplish some things, I'll definitely go there. Heck yes. That's on my list too. I think it looks like a beautiful place. Doesn't it? Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah. I'm curious for you, Derek, are you more of a morning or evening routine person? And if so, whichever you are, can you give us um, your routine? Yeah. So I'm definitely a morning person. Um, Matter of fact, funny story. So I tend to be, you know, kind of the disciplinarian in the family. And my wife pulled me aside one day and she said, Derek, when you get tired you take away some really bad things from the kids and give them some really bad punishments. Like, I, you know, it's nine <laughs> o'clock. Suddenly my son has lost his truck, his car. <laughs> and so what I realized is basically from nine, from, from 10 to 11, I don't say anything but positive things to the family. So that's rule number one. Okay. So that really has helped me a lot. But in terms of, I tend to get up about six 30 in the morning, hit the Peloton bike, love that. And then get my routine going. I tend to journal a little bit about what I learned yesterday and what my goals are for today, and then just get right into it. So I I tend to produce most of my content in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, And by noon, I I try to win the day is what I call it. So that way by noon, I've accomplished my main, most dollar productive tasks. Then the rest of the afternoon is my mind is sort of tired and winding down. Now I'm not in the pressure mode of having to create great stuff. Now it's just more managing what's more the project and the strategy that I'm focused on. That's great. I love that. I love your role too. I think I need to borrow that. Anything after <laughs> 9 p.m. for me, I'm not going to be a kind person. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. I, I've proven that. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> your son already lost his firstborn and like, oh, oh it's terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. That is so great. All right. My final question for you, my friend, is in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Well, I think the secret is to be true to yourself. And that is you can read a book, you can watch a podcast, you can watch a video, but ultimately you've got to find out what's going to motivate you to do better with money. And so again, what I would think about is even if you were to write down one financial goal this year, you're going to be far more likely to reach that one goal than if you had written down five or 10 goals, just because you're laser focused and it's going to build confidence. And I would just tell you, don't feel like you're held back by any past money decisions. You can start fresh and it's just one move at a time. And before you know it, you have momentum, which leads to more money. I love that, Derek. This was such a fun way to wrap up the conversation. Thank you for your time. I'm so grateful you came on the show to talk about your book and share some of the concepts with us. Thanks, Whitney. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me today. 
Okay, what'd you think? Did you enjoy this episode? I'd love to hear what your takeaways were. Tag me on Instagram. Let me know what you really took away from this episode, what stood out to you. It's always so fun to see what you learned. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful for all of your support and for all of your five-star reviews. There are over 300 of you, and I'm so grateful for all of your feedback. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.